0: This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. All right, well, I want to talk to you today about um, a very special subject to me, and it's this idea of leaving legacy, Uh, When we go through life, there's many things we can leave behind, but there's nothing that is as important as leaving legacy behind. Our tagline on our logo actually says, make your mark and leave a legacy. And I believe that that's one of the most important things that we can have in our hearts and our minds as we go through life, regardless of who we are, regardless of what influence that we feel we have, there's something very special about leaving legacy behind, when we think of people that have left a legacy in society, we often think of political figures like Abraham Lincoln, or we think of biblical characters like Abraham or Paul, or, or maybe uh, more current spiritual heroes like Smith Wigglesworth, or the big revivalists, or even Billy Graham that just passed on into eternity. Um, and they have each made an impact in our world and left a legacy that people still talk about, in some cases thousands of years later. Um, but the Bible is also full of examples of people that have left a legacy in the world in a way that the world would have never expected or seen. People that have left a legacy not through political power or the abundance of money or possessions, but they left a different kind of legacy. I think of the widow uh, with only two copper coins uh, that when Jesus stood in the temple and he watched all these rich people come by with their riches and with their generosity on display, he noticed that widow. And she gave two small copper coins, but she gave everything she had. She left a legacy that we still talk about today a legacy of generosity, a legacy of giving God everything. I think of the woman in Mark chapter 14 that came and when Jesus was, this is right before the Passover, right before he is to give his life, this woman recognized what he was about to do and she came in and she had this expensive jar of perfume and she broke it over his feet and she anointed his feet for burial and Jesus said, whenever the gospel is preached, what this woman has done for me will always be remembered. And here we are 2,000 years later and we're still talking about her example and her legacy of giving her whole heart to God, giving God her future, and giving extravagant love. There's something about leaving a legacy that is so important. And I believe that today this room is full of people that don't just have the ability but the responsibility to leave a legacy. We each have a legacy to leave, something that we can pass on to the next generation. And I, I believe on Mother's Day, this applies so very well to mothers. <laughs> this, is, this is the pinnacle of what a mother will do. But I think it also applies to, to parents, to anybody, um, both natural parents and spiritual parents. What I've learned is that it doesn't matter who you are because God has called you to leave a legacy. One thing that's become so real to me is that you can have a mothering or fathering heart and spirit and love for people no matter your age, no matter your gender, no matter your status. You have something to give. God doesn't look at your background, your skill, or even your financial status. He doesn't look at your personality or your beauty or your natural circumstances. First Samuel sixteen seven says it beautifully like this, for the Lord does not see what man sees. For man looks at outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God looks for a heart that is surrendered to him and willing to live for him and pass on whatever lessons that he has taught you. It's as simple as that. When you embrace who God has made you to be, when you surrender not just part of yourself, but when you surrender your whole heart to him, he looks at your heart and he looks at a person who can leave a legacy. In Western society, we've learned to compartmentalize our lives, where, you know, we have one life at work or at school, we have a separate kind of life at home, and then we have our family life, and we have our our life with our friends, and then we have that that spiritual life uh, that we, you know, tap into sometimes where we focus on the spiritual things, but can I say this morning that God never intended us to live that way. God wants to be part of every part of your life. God wants to be part of every different compartment of your life. He wants to be involved in your work. He wants to be involved in your marriage. He wants to be involved in your family, in your school, in the place of influence that you are with. Because when we allow him to become the center of everything that we are and everything that we do, what we are doing is we're actually leaving a legacy of what it's like to love Jesus. And you don't need precision. You don't need a place in the world to do that. You just need a surrendered heart. I want to show you a picture of some really dear... Here I go. I thought I was going to make it once without crying. Ah, Okay. Um, Some really dear people in my life. On this side, that's my grandfather uh, preaching the word. I have such a rich legacy, and I'm so thankful my grandfather was my hero. And I know Moses said he was the meekest man on the face of the earth, but I would argue and say that my grandpa was. He was in Swedish, it's farfar, far, and he was just the most amazing man I've ever met. And then, <laughs> I guess you can guess what, uh, <laughs> what decade that was from. <laughs> but that's um, that little squirt up there, that's me. My mom's holding me and that's my dad and my sister out in the jungle in Tanzania. And my grandfather passed on a legacy to my dad, where he said, if you can do one thing well, is to live a surrendered life, and to serve Jesus in everything. And so my parents took up the call, and they went out, and they they spent years on the mission field in Tanzania. My dad was a pastor. My mom was a midwife. And uh, eventually, my dad actually reschooled and became a doctor. He felt like God called him into that field. Um, And... uh, I can say this I don't take for granted the legacy I have because there is something so precious about having learned what it's like to give everything for Jesus and when my parents were called out to the mission field that was before FaceTime okay it was before phone lines it was a complete sacrifice you went out to the jungle And you stayed there for years. And so when God started calling me into missions, I was 13 years old. When I went on my first international missions trip, and my parents said, if God called you, you've got to go. And then when I started traveling the world, literally. And at the age of 16, I pretty much had moved out. And then a few years later, I ended up making the jump and moving across the ocean and coming here. And I still remember my parents saying, Sandra, if God tells you to do something, you have to do it. You have to surrender your whole heart to his call. We would never be happy with you staying here if God called you to go. And I can honestly say a week before my dad passed away, years ago now, we had this strange conversation. He didn't know he was going to die. He had a massive heart attack and died instantly. But one week to the day before he died, we had this really odd conversation. Where if you ever knew you were going to have a last conversation, that would have been it. And he just spoke into my life and spoke into my future and encouraged me. If you could do anything, Sandra, just live a surrendered life for Jesus. And I think he had a feeling that he was going to go soon. So he said, you know, I don't have much for you. In the way of inheritance, they lived a very simple life because they kind of always went wherever God called them and didn't have money and possessions. They never owned a house. They just lived very simple. And so he said, I don't have much to pass on. And I said, Dad, wait. Yes, you do. You've given me the most precious thing that I could ever have. And it's seeing a sacrificial life where you live for others and you do exactly what God calls you to do, even if it doesn't make sense to anybody else. And he got to say some really special things to me that day, but I got to tell him that you have given me the best inheritance ever, the legacy of loving Jesus well. My mom, too, is an incredible example of God's love. And she's still with me. She's, well, not here, she's in Sweden, <laughs> but, uh, but she's an amazing mother, an amazing example of what it's like to have patience, to surrender to Jesus, to do whatever it takes to serve him and to serve people. And so I want to honor my mom today. I know she's not here, but I just want to give a shout out to my awesome mom and an amazing mother-in-law. I got like the two best in the world. And so thank you guys for the example that you set for me every day. Now, I know I'm blessed. I'm aware of how wonderful my background is. But most people don't have that kind of legacy. And so people can look at that and go, well, I I don't have that. That's, That's not my past. I don't have that kind of legacy. I don't have that kind of support. But can I say this morning that God can start with you? God can start right where you are, right now, no matter your age, no matter if you feel like you're on the beginning part of your journey or if you feel like you have lived most of your life and you don't, you don't really know what you've left behind, it can start right here and right now and God can actually establish a new family line in you right here, right now, where you can leave a legacy for generations to come that are going to say we serve a great God because you made a choice, because you made a choice to surrender. I believe that this room is full of people that are going to have children and grandchildren and children yet not born that are going to serve Jesus because of the example that you're setting and because of the legacy that you're leaving. Would you let it start with you today? Look at Jesus. He could have chosen to come like a king and and conqueror, just like the Jews wanted. He could have come and... He could have come. Wow. He could have come... That, that was my five-year-old's influence on me this morning. He could have come, to, that too. He could have come and lived in a palace and in splendor and riches and honor and, and left a legacy behind of, of power and of might, but he chose something so different because he knew that he came to give an example to a broken humanity. He knew that there is people that needed to see what it was like to come out of nothing and become something. Not in the way that we expect, not that the, the way that the world makes us think we have to live. But he came and he gave this beautiful example of living in complete humility, and he left a legacy of loving those that don't deserve it, loving others selflessly, bringing truth to those that were lost in their sin and in their shame. What a legacy. And then he did this awesome thing when he was about to leave. He said, I'm going, but now I'm passing on the baton to you. And I'm calling you to live like me and to love like me and to be like me and to pass on the legacy that I've now given you. He lived his life for others always. But he always drew strength directly from his relationship with his father. And one of the best ways that we can do is to, to model his principles in our daily lives and diligently teach those around us, whether it be our children or whether it be the people that God has put in our path to live in his ways. God gave one of his best ever parenting tips in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 7. Here it is. It says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is God alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. I think God just gave us permission to nag. That is so awesome. And all the parents said? Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. Again and again and again. I'm just happening to look in this direction just by chance. But listen to this. It says talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. In other ways, talk about them always. Nag if you need to. Talk about them again and again. Talk about how you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. You are to say that again and again and again to your spiritual children, to your natural children. You are to instill in them what it's like to live and love like Jesus. We each have something to pass on something that we can teach those around us, whether it be those natural children that God has blessed us with or the people that God puts in our path. Now, some people may feel like you have nothing to offer, and it's like that old saying, when you're a teen, you think you know everything. When you reach your 20s, you're convinced you know everything. When you come into your 30s, you're like, I know nothing. Um, And then once you kind of hit your 40s and on, you're like, yeah, I don't know much, but what I have, I'll pass on, right? Right? And, and I believe that each of us, no matter your age, no matter your place in life, you do have something to pass on. And it's not tied to your age. It not, it's not tied to your background. But I believe that what we do need to pass on is something that weighs more than natural matters. We need to teach those around us and leave a legacy that weighs all the way into eternity. Psalm 145 verse 4 says, One generation shall praise your works to another. And shall declare your mighty acts. We are to declare his mighty acts from one generation to the next, to the next. And then Psalm 78, 5 to 7 says, He decreed statues for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children, so that the next generation would know them, even children yet not born. And they would in turn tell their children, and they would put their trust in God and not forget his deeds, but would keep His commands. See how brilliant this is. God says, teach them to your children. That will teach them to their children. That will teach them to the coming generation. And they will see how great our God is. And they will put their trust in Him. Can I tell you this morning, you can leave A legacy that weighs all the way into eternity. You can leave a legacy that lives on and on and on and on. And it has nothing to do with what job you have or what income you have or where you come from or your family background. It has everything to do with you surrendering your heart completely to Jesus and saying, I don't have much. I don't know much, but what I have, I'm going to pass on. And I'm going to teach it to the next generation that will rise up and trust the Lord. And they will teach it to the next generation that will rise up. And they will trust the Lord. And they will teach it to the generations to come. I want to take a look at someone in the Bible today that had a very different background. I want to talk to you today just briefly about the story of Esther. Um, She didn't have a whole lot going for her. Um, this woman lived um, a long time ago now, but she lived in Persia under um, the, the very oppressive kind of king that was there. His name was Ar- Artaxerxes. That was the only time I'm going to say that this morning. Uh, from now on, I'm going to refer to him as King A, because it actually is Art. I'm not going to say it again. Um, king A. Okay, he was a very oppressive ruler because Persian law was very um, intense, let's say. And so here is this, um, this young woman, um, and the Bible tells us three things about her. It tells us that she was an orphan. In Esther, I don't have this on the screen, but uh, in Esther 2, chapter, sorry, verse 6, it says that she had no mother or father, kind of like Joshua, the son of Nun. He had no parents. Okay, a couple of you caught that. I just want to make sure you're awake and with me this morning. Thank you for that laugh, Ryan. I heard it. Um, but she was raised by a cousin, Mordecai, um, <laughs> Thank you. That was one of those <laughs> dad joke. It's Mother's Day. I can do whatever I want. Um, okay. So, uh, but she was an orphan. The second thing that the Bible tells us uh, in Esther chapter 2, verse 8, it says that she was taken away. So, um, the king of Persia had this queen, and the queen didn't please him and didn't do what he wanted when she, when he wanted her to do it. And so, uh, because he's mad at her, he actually says, off with, not off with her head, but he said, out of my palace, and you are not to be queen anymore. And he He kind of exiles her and said, goodbye, you are the weakest link. Um, And so Queen Vashti is now gone. And so now the king's like, oh, but now I'm lonely. I kind of need a queen, right? And so he comes up with this brilliant idea that we're going to gather all the maidens of the land. And I'm going to pick from them my favorite. And uh, she's going to become my new queen. And so in this story, we jump right in. And Esther is one of those young maidens of the land. And they actually gather all of them. Now, we can look at Esther once we know the end of the story and look at, oh, what a Cinderella story. Listen, in the midst of it, it was no Cinderella story. She was taken. The Hebrew word actually means captured and taken away. She was taken away and put in the king's courts. Um, against, well, most of them against their will because that wasn't their plan, right? Right. Um, And so he wanted to select a new queen. The third thing we learn about her is not just was she an orphan and taken away, but she had to hide her true identity. In chapter 2, verse 10 and 20, it says that her cousin Mordecai urged her not to reveal her true identity, that she was actually Jewish. Uh, She even called herself by her Persian name. Her, Her real name is actually Hadassah. That's her Hebrew name. But he said, no, go by Esther so that they can't trace who you are because the Jews were at this time were very oppressed. They were spread out. They didn't even have their own place. They were spread out in all these different places. And so he says, let's just keep that our little secret. Uh, You just don't tell them who you really are. Just say that your name is Esther. And if they ask who you're from, just say that this great guy, uh, cousin Mordecai, raised you. And that's all they need to know. So she's taken into this place, and she is now in in a new place, in a place that she didn't have a say in. She was brought into a very complex time and a politically unstable time. And so here she is. She finds herself, and now she's taken into the king's courts. And can I say, a lot of people would have been gripped with fear at this point because what if you're not chosen? What's going to happen to the rest of your life? Do you ever stop to think about those things? She didn't know what was going to happen. But listen, instead of being gripped with fear... She chose to lift her head up high and say, I'm going to do everything that I can to do the best that I can to the best of my ability to honor my God, my king, and to honor the king. And so in his palace, it says that she immediately found favor with everybody, with the king's personal guard. And they just favored her and started giving her extra portions and extra beauty treatments and all this stuff. Because very much like Joseph, remember the story in the book of Joseph? He was a guy that learned how to serve God in the pit. He learned how to serve God in the prison and and in the palace. But I think he only served God well in the palace because he knew how to honor God even when he was in a pit and even in a prison. And can I say, I think Esther was the same. I think she found favor immediately because she had an attitude of, okay, I'm here. Okay, this is my new circumstance. I'm going to give myself to it and do the best that I can. And so long story short, she was chosen to become um, the new queen. And so if our story ended there, it could have been a nice little story about how a poor orphan became queen. And that would have been nice. And she came from nothing and she became something very influential. And she was taken into this place of recognition and of success and of luxury. But can I say today that sometimes a place of recognition, of success, of of wealth and luxury can become the very snare for our lives if we don't have our heart in the right place to start with. So I believe that God chose her because he knew that her heart was surrendered to her true king. And he knew that he could entrust her with wealth and success and luxury because her heart was turned to him. And it's true, God can take each of us from whatever circumstance we've come from. He can take us into his family and make us royalty with him and co heirs with Jesus Christ in one single day. No matter if you're an orphan, no matter if you feel lost, no matter if you feel displaced, or if you feel like you don't have a voice, when you surrender your heart completely to God, there is absolutely no limit for what he can do in you and do through you and what he can leave behind after you. But our story doesn't end here. The king had a second-hand man named Haman, and he had some pride issues, shall we say. I don't have time to go into all the details, Uh, but he wanted everybody to bow to him and to treat him like royalty because he was the second in command. And so everybody did in the kingdom except one guy. Can you guess who it was? Good old cousin Mordecai. He would not bow to Haman, and it drove him nuts. If you've seen the, the VeggieTales version of it, it's extremely hilarious. You do need to see it if you haven't seen it. But he's like, bow to me. And this little pea is like, I am not bowing. Um, but anyhow, uh, <laughs> anyhow, I'm moving right along from the VeggieTales version, because there's much more seriousness to this than VeggieTales. Um, but uh, long story short, Mordecai knew that he was only to bow to one king. And so he would not bow, at the risk of his own life, he would not bow to Haman. So Haman sets out a plot to kill not just Mordecai, because he's driving him insane. But he says, he's driving me so insane that I'm going to find all the Jews, all the people that call on that God that says that you can't bow to me, and I'm going to destroy them all. So he actually goes to the king, and this is what he says in Esther 3.8. He says, there's a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. And their loss are different from all the other people's and they don't keep the king's loss. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain can I say this right here is a perfect picture of our lives today. We are scattered. We are dispersed into every sphere of society all over the world. There's these pockets of Christians that even though we are to honor and obey the laws of the land, we have a higher law that is written on our hearts. And so we are like those people. To some, it's wonderful and to some, it's a nuisance right? And so Haman is like, can we just annihilate them all? Because they don't follow our laws. They honor another king, and they believe so strongly in their king that they will actually give up their lives. So why don't we just kill them and get rid of them so that we could get what we want? So Esther finds herself in a very difficult place because she belongs to this people that she has yet not told them. And they live a life that's different, They live a life that is different than the world around them. And that's exactly what we need to do today. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Can I say, we all need to be Esthers today. We all need to be people that if we truly want to know the will of God, His good will for you, His perfect will for you, His pleasing will for you, then we need to not conform to the pattern of this world, but actually be renewed. Just like the people, the Jews that were spread across, they lived according to a higher law. This morning, God is calling us to live by a higher law to live by the law that he writes on our heart and that's the legacy that we get to leave behind is that it doesn't matter what we face today we will live by God's law but now Haman is furious and Esther is confused because now she's like now what do I do this decree has gone out to kill all my people and that would kind of include me but they don't know that yet So she had a choice to make. And she could have easily continued to just hide her identity, enjoy the comforts of her luxury, and continued in that place. But if she would have done that, it would have lessened both her spiritual commitment to her real king, and she wouldn't have left the legacy that she left. So I want to look at five quick things that Esther did to save a nation and to leave a legacy. Can I say today that God opens destiny to any person who will keep his priorities. And with true destiny comes legacy. So let's look at five quick things that she did. First thing she did is that she chose faith instead of fear. Because of this Esther actually saved not just her own skin, not just her own life and her cousin Mordecai's life, but she actually saved an entire nation, an entire people group. Esther 14.4, there's this Mordecai that says to her, For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place but you and your father's house will perish. In other words, Mordecai is saying to her that even if you choose not to obey God in this time, God will raise up a deliverer. God will choose someone else. And Esther says, I don't want him to choose someone else. I want to do what God has chosen me to do. Can I say this morning, every one of us is faced with a choice today. We can either sit back and let someone else do it. Let someone else take up the baton. Let someone else leave that legacy. Let someone else make that hard choice. Let someone else speak truth. Let someone else extend themselves in love, and we can sit back, because God will raise up a deliverer. God will raise up a people that will serve him, that surrender to him. But can I encourage you this morning? It can be you, and it's as simple as right here and right now, committing yourself to choose faith and not fear. We have that choice to make, usually every single day, and God will raise somebody up, but I don't want him to pass by to say, well, Sandra, I didn't want to this time. I want to say like Isaiah, here I am, send me, choose me, pick me, pick me, pick me. Can you imagine if every single person, even just that calls impact home, would say, God, pick me. I will stand for truth. I will love your people. I will reach out to those who are lost. I will do like Jesus, and I will live not for myself, but for those around me. I will go to the people that are not so refined yet, and I will pour out your love to them. I will give of myself. I will give of my time. I will give of my finances. I will give of my commitment. I will give of my talent. Can you imagine what the city would look like. There's people scattered all over this city. There's people all over this city that call Jesus their Lord and Savior. It's time for the church of Jesus Christ all over this city to rise up and to say yes to the call of God to leave a legacy that actually matters all the way into eternity. This city will be transformed, and once this city is transformed, then people are going to see it and go, "What in the world did you do in that city?" And we want it, and so then I believe, and I have big dreams, and and you can you can pick on me all you want, but I believe that if each and every one of us just surrenders our heart to Jesus Christ and allows Him to do everything that He wants to do through each of us, we need you, I need you, you need me. We are a happy family. There we go. Um, but <laughs> but can you imagine if we just broke down the walls of the different churches and we said it doesn't matter what we don't have in common what it matters is what we do have in common that we serve Jesus Christ and it's time for us to rise up and be the church the spotless church the bride without wrinkle or without stain that Jesus has called us to be just very much like the Jews they were so oppressed because they lived by a higher law it's exactly where we're at today dare to choose faith instead of fear Every single day, Esther had a chance to be part of the answer. Second thing she did is she recognized God's will in her placement she recognized that it was God that had put her there. Now it says that Esther was very beautiful, but she recognized it wasn't her own beauty or her own wisdom that brought her there. But she comes to this epiphany and she said, yet who knows, or this is Mordecai saying, whether you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. I want to tell you this morning, you are not here by chance. You are not here by accident. God has divinely orchestrated you to be right here, right now. I'm not just talking about Mother's Day May May, whatever it is 2018 I mean your place in life where you are at right now God has put you there God has called you to this time to this place for such a time as this because he has a destiny and a purpose for each and every one of you and so recognize that God places people where he wants you know have you ever felt like you're not making a difference That you'd rather be somewhere else or maybe even someone else. But God can use you right where you are, whoever you are, wherever you are, to speak life into a generation of people that need to see and trust in our God. The third thing she did is this. She relied on divine wisdom and not on human wisdom. She didn't act foolishly just because she knew what she had to do. She didn't just storm into the courts of the king and, and, and demand him to let her people go. She actually, first of all, she listened to her cousin Mordecai and said, what should we do? And then she actually went to them and, and she came up with a strategy for how to approach the king. And, and if you know the story, she actually comes before the king without being called. And back in those days, according to Persian law, he could have killed her if he wanted to, which I think is a little harsh, um, but, you know, that was the Persian law, and so she comes after praying and fasting for three days, she comes before the king, and, and he extends his scepter, and she gets to come into his court, and, and then he says, what is it that you want? I'll give you up to half my kingdom, and then she uses this brilliant wisdom, like only a woman could come up with, like, I'm not ready to tell you yet, sweetie, <laughs> Why don't you come have dinner with me, and then I'll tell you. And so she puts out all his favorite goodies, like sour cream and onion chips, and, you know, some iced tea, and, you know, and and even some Coke with ice in it, and some, you know, chocolate-covered raisins, and, you know, I'm just giving you hints. Like, if you want to love on your pastor, I'm just... You know, anyhow. But she she puts all these things on and he's like, Ah oh, woo I'm feeling so good. So he's like, by the way, what, what was it again that that you wanted? Did you there was something you wanted right? She goes, Yes, but sweetie, I I just I just don't think this is the moment. Why don't you come back tomorrow night and we'll have dinner again? And so this time, she goes to Walmart, and she's like, I'm going to go big. I'm going to have, like, two kinds of chips and, and five options for, for, you know, pop. And just kidding. But she, she throws this huge banquet. And long story short, what was that? Oh, of course, second night with steak from the keg. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. With garlic mashed potatoes. There you go. I'm just, like, I, I'm just picking random things this morning. Just, you know, Whatever. Yeah, and, then, and then some sticky cake for dessert. Um, where was I? Okay, so <laughs> I was on sticky cake. That's where I was. And what did this have to do with Esther? Um, <laughs> no, so anyhow, long story short, if you read through the story, she eventually presents her request, and we're going to look at that in just a minute. But can I say, um, for us today, we're in that same predicament. Sometimes just because we know what God has called us to do, we can't just run out and do it on our own. We can't just use human wisdom. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, who would that be? I know I do. Oh, wow, eight people lack wisdom. The rest of you are super smart. I'm going to buy your book after the service. Awesome. Okay, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God. Not you can, but you should ask God because he gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. In this verse, it actually says, if you ask him, he will give you wisdom. That is beyond your human wisdom. That's beyond human strategy. And it's something that he will give to you when you ask. Esther not only listened to the advice of her cousin Mordecai. She also sought the advice of the king's servant before she ever met the king the first time. But ultimately, when she came before that throne, she knew that it was a God thing. She knew the timing. She had taken three days to fast and to pray. And when she came before that throne, she knew all she needs is his scepter to be extended. And that scepter in that, uh, in that culture meant an extension of favor and grace. Hebrews five, um, sorry 4, verse 12 says, Let us therefore come boldly, to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Today, when we are called to be co-heirs with Jesus Christ, when we're, we're kings and queens, we're royalty set apart to be uh, as people set apart for God, we no longer have to come before the throne in trembling and in fear. But we actually says, in Hebrews it says, we can come boldly before the throne of grace and ask God for help in time Of need, dare come before the throne this morning and ask God for His divine wisdom. The fourth thing she did is this: she recognized that she needed to pray first and act later. Can I say today, whether you're a mom and you're facing a difficult situation with your children, pray first, act later. If you're in any situation, if you're a mom, not a mom and dad, if you have no kids, just pray first, act later. Uh, In Esther four sixteen says, "Go and gather all the Jews here in Susa and Susan, fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my attendants will fast as you do." She recognized that there is times in our lives where human effort is not enough. We need to actually set time apart to seek the face of God, to seek Him, to pray for Him, to even fast and say, "God, what is it that you want me to do in this situation?" And the fifth thing she did was that she was willing to lay down her life for others. She goes on to say in verse 16, "When this is done, I will go to the king, and even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish." The greatest legacy you can ever leave is your willingness to lay down your life for others, whether it be your own children or the people that you are presenting Jesus to. Jesus said it this way in John 15:13, "Greater love has no one than this: to lay down one's life for one's friends." This morning, if I can leave you with one thing, as you want to leave a legacy and as you want to walk in such a way that you can leave behind something that really matters, something eternal, dare to live selflessly, just like Jesus. He laid down his life for others all the time. I think this verse is so fitting for Mother's Day because mothers are usually the most giving people. Sorry, fathers. But mothers are usually the most giving people on the face of this planet. They are there for their kids every single moment. And when they're not with their kids, they think about their kids all the time. Just ask any mom. They're constantly on their hearts, on their minds. And there's something about the selflessness of a mother that is so beautiful. But let's see how our story ends. What kind of legacy did Esther leave behind? Through her wisdom, she was able to uncover the plot of Haman and the king punishes him and Haman dies. And not only did she remove Haman, but he actually takes Mordecai and puts him in Haman's place. So not only has she saved her own life, she's actually now elevated her cousin to the place of honor that the very person that tried to destroy them had. And now Mordecai becomes the second in command in the entire kingdom. The guy who lives by God's values. Can I say this morning that if you dare have faith, courage to choose faith instead of fear, to seek God for his wisdom, to press in and say, God, I need you on this. I need your favor on this. I'm going to come before your throne. I'm going to come and I'm going to ask for help in time of need. In one day, God can take you from a place of obscurity, from a place of feeling like nothing, to a place of influence where you have a voice to represent the values of the kingdom of God right where you are. You may not be called to be a a queen or a political voice or a world evangelist like Billy Graham, but this room is full of people that have destiny wrapped up right inside of you. And today, I'm urging you to surrender your heart to Jesus and to say, I am all in. You are mine and I am yours. Because just like Esther, she saved her family, she saved a people, she saved a nation. Can I say it starts right here with you and with me, leaving a legacy behind of loving Jesus and living like him. Don't think for a moment that your life doesn't matter. Because the best thing you can do is to model a surrendered heart to those around you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.